What is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? How do we know who the Spirit is? We know by the Scriptures. We know because the Church Fathers knew what the Scriptures said. And He's in our midst. But unless He is feelingly in our midst, unless He is consciously in our midst, that is, we're conscious of it, He might as well be somewhere else. Today, week three of the Holy Spirit, Spirit. this week and next week are, uh, are very important weeks uh, as a church as we talk about uh, what the Holy Spirit does in us and what the Holy Spirit does through us. Uh, we, the first week of the Holy Spirit, we talked about how our worldviews are shaped by different spirits. And we talked about kind of the spookiness of the spiritual realm, but then we also talked about how uh, how, how the spiritual realm kind of plays out practically in our lives, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we're aware of the way that we think and we act, how it's influenced by uh, different spirits or different mindsets, it is. And, and then last week we moved to talking about uh, the Holy Spirit, what we believe in the Holy Spirit uh, in, in another way in regards to a lot about the Trinity. Uh, uh, how many of you last week, maybe you got a little bit more clarity in a couple of things, got some help? Yeah, a few of you. It, it, it's one of those messages where uh, it's a building block to where we're, we're getting today and to next week. But I think it's so important that we know who the Holy Spirit is before we just kind of skip into what he does, right? We need to know who he is, what's his nature. And uh, so this week, again, is what does the Holy Spirit do in me? So we're going to start, uh, by the way, if you've got the YouVersion app, if you've got the, the, the YouVersion Bible app, you can go ahead and open it up, go to the bottom right to more, and then you go to events, and then you can find Northwood Church right there and actually open up uh, today's message notes on your phone. You can make notes, uh, and uh, I don't know how long it stays active. Is it like, well, no, like, like, okay, so the event, but the event like disappears. One day, all right, so you got like one day to go ahead and get those notes and, and save them into, into the thing. Because there's a lot of things that we're gonna talk about today that I think some of you are gonna wanna go back, you're gonna wanna go look at some scriptures and, and, and kind of, kind of uh, to, to, I guess, further understand what we're talking about. And uh, I think it would really help, help you in your growth. But we're gonna start off with Acts chapter one, verse eight. It says, uh, but you, this is Jesus speaking, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the first part, you can see what God does in us, what the Holy Spirit does in us. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then what God will do through us. And uh, because it says you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and, the, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is a promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come and that the Holy Spirit is going to empower us to be witnesses for the kingdom of God. And so then we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Last week, we talked about 1 and 2. Today, I want to read 3 and 4. And uh, this is the fulfillment of that. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, the believers in Jesus, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So uh, something like the sound of a, of a violent wind, 
and, and, and these, these tongues of fire seem to be tongues of fire separate, rest on them. And then they do something supernatural and they begin to, uh, because they're filled with the spirit, they begin to speak in other languages. And actually, if you go on to read Acts, Acts chapter two, I'd encourage all of you to do that. It's one of the of a very, very big chapter in the word of God. They are filled with the spirit. Uh, people begin to gather and they hear them speaking in other languages that they obviously did not previously know or should not have known and people are confused. The Bible says that they're actually speaking in other languages and uh, sharing the wonders of God. What were they saying, right? What was going on in that moment? But it stirred people to, to well, some of them actually thought they were just drunk. That's actually real, really what happens. Like, These guys are drunk. And Peter's like, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's only nine in the morning. So they're not drunk. <laughs> I guess at nine at night, it's different for them back in the day. But uh, <laughs> so Peter's like, uh, no, let me tell you what's going on. He says, this is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. This is the promised Holy Spirit that's coming. And I think it's funny because when a lot of people read the scripture uh, and it talks about tongues, uh, there's this kind of, they kind of get weirded out about what happens here. And one thing, you know, I, I guess I try to think about the word of God from maybe a different angle sometimes or ask different questions. And, and I was like, well, God, what, what would you have had to do in order to show that your spirit was coming? Like what would have marked it? And I was thinking like, what, what would it have taken to prove to people that the Holy Spirit was real and doing something different? Uh, and I was saying, you know, well, like miracles, Jesus had done many of those and God had done many of that didn't really prove much to many. Come on. Uh, what, raise, raise people from the dead. A lot of people didn't even believe that. Raise himself from the dead, still people didn't believe. Like, I, I, at some point, I'm like, what kind of proof would God have to do in order to prove something to us people? You know what I'm saying? He literally did all, I mean, come on, the Israelites, he opened up the ground, swallowed people. There was all these crazy, crazy things that happened. And for whatever reason, as, as people, we always tend to think like, if I just had more proof, I would believe. And I think that's just not true, historically. Because it doesn't matter what God did, people still doubt it. You know what I'm saying? So there's, there's something else going on with us as people when it comes to belief. But, but what should it have been? Miracles, acts of love. I think Jesus did, it covered all those bases and yet still people struggled. But this happened and, and we're gonna dig deeper into the Holy Spirit plays out in our life, obviously throughout this, this message and also especially next week. But we wanna ask the question today and answer the question, what does the Holy Spirit do in me? So the Holy Spirit comes, right? This is great, empowers, you know, to be witnesses and we read that, but, but like, how does this play out in our life? And then also, how does what the Holy Spirit does in us, how does it tie into all the other things that we've talked about over the last few months? Because here's the deal, it's not one subject and then we move on to the next, and then we move on to the next. Everything that we're talking about is really our theology it's, it's how we see God. It's how we understand him. The, week, week, uh, the, month, the second month of Jesus, we talked about our, our Christology, how we see Christ and, and his work and who he is. And now we're talking about the Holy Spirit, what we believe about him. But all of these, these, uh, these months are, are completely connected. And so this one is just as much connected to the last two months. But again, when we get to the Holy Spirit, some people get a little bit weird because it seems ambiguous. And they start kind of saying, well, I just, I think I'll just stay in the safe arena, which is Jesus. 
you know? And it's like, oh, honestly, none of it's safe, okay? <laughs> it's, all, it's all very, very offensive to us as humans. But I think that we need to understand the Holy Spirit just as much as we understand Jesus, right? All right, so what does the Holy Spirit do in me? Number one, the Holy Spirit regenerates you. He regenerates you. The Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers of their need for Christ and imparts spiritual life through regeneration or the new birth. Jesus talks about this in John chapter three uh, when he talks about being born of the spirit or born again. Let's read this. Many of you have read these scriptures many times. You probably, uh, if you went to Christian school, you definitely memorized these, all right? At least three times. John chapter three. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And we laugh at that, but come on, if somebody out of nowhere told you, you got to be born again, you never heard that before. You'd be like, you're talking gibberish, you know, that thing you do, anybody? Yeah, it's just a couple of people. You're talking gibberish. All right. That didn't land with all of you. Old movie. Anyway, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? Verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, not water baptism, speaking of just being born and the spirit, water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said that to you. You must be born again. Basically, don't, I mean, don't, don't get thrown off by me saying you've got to be born again. Verse 8. Okay, now I want you, as we read this scripture, to think about this. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. This is God. And he's like, he's trying to explain this concept. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Nicodemus is like, that's true. That's true. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This thing of being born in the spirit, this, this, this new birth, there's a certain mystery to it. There's a certain tension to it, right? And Jesus is like, this is kind of just how it is, man. Now, for many of you who have been born again, you've received Jesus, you've been saved. Whenever you try to explain to someone in words, at times, don't you feel like you start running out of words to express what it is that God is doing in you, right? You, you, like, like, man, I heard somebody say this recently, and it's really, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It said, I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. <laughs> I was like, that is, that's exactly right. I can, I can explain it to you, but I can't like get inside your head and understand it for you. You know, like I, I can explain it. I can't experience it for you. And so this new birth is something that if it's happened to you, you know that it's happened to you and it's changed the course of your life. So when we are born again, we become a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you have received Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old man, the old you before Jesus passed away. Behold, all things are new. Doesn't mean that every single action or attitude that you have always aligns with the new creation that you are. We are talking about being born again of the spirit of God. Our soul, our body tends to get in the way of some of the work that God wants to do in us, right? So we are on, in the process, but we are a new creation. 
Watchman Nee said this, at, this, at the time of man's regeneration, his spirit receives God's life and becomes enlivened. It is the Holy Spirit who actively accomplishes this work. It is the Holy Spirit who reproves man of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He prepares man's heart, causing him to willingly believe in the Lord Jesus. I'm gonna read that again. <clears throat> he prepares man's heart, causing him to willingly believe in the Lord Jesus as his savior. You receiving Jesus, you believing in, in Christ is a work of the spirit in your life. He prepares your heart. The work of the cross is accomplished by the Lord Jesus, by the Lord Jesus. However, it is the Holy Spirit who applies this upon the sinner and within his heart. Last week, we talked about how the father is the planner of salvation. The son is the achiever of salvation and the spirit is the applier of salvation. So number one, the Holy Spirit regenerates you. Number two, the Holy Spirit seals you, seals you. Second Corinthians one, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Remember, we talked about that last week, anointing, referring to the Holy Spirit. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A seal. I want you to picture real quick an old school letter or scroll where you had this seal that marked, uh, uh, maybe, maybe it was marked by a king or an emperor with his signet ring and he would press upon that hot wax and he would seal that letter or seal that scroll. It also represented that his authority was upon what was inside of that scroll or, or, or the contents inside of that letter. And this is what the Holy Spirit does to us. He seals us into the kingdom of God. He, 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 had, he also seals our belonging into the kingdom of God. I've, I've experienced this a lot, and I know a lot of other, other uh, people have in the church, is this lack of assurance in your salvation, this lack of, of really believing that you belong to the body of Christ. And you know, I had that issue for many, many years. And one of the main reasons I had that was because I actually had a works-based mindset when it came to what it meant to be a believer. Meaning I had to try and maintain this level of act actions, you know, uh, uh, outward expression of being a Christian. And if I, if I did anything wrong, if I, if I sinned or made a mistake, immediately cut off from God. And it was almost like God was excited about it. Right, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe some of you grew up like that. It's almost like God was just waiting to crush you. Like almost, you know what I'm saying? Like motivated to do that. A very judgmental view of God. And so what, I mean, come on, if, if you had that view of your father, maybe some of you did, you know that you, you, you were just walking on eggshells and you never were quite sure, it, it, like, am I accepted today? The beautiful thing about what the Holy Spirit does in us is that he reminds you that you are accepted and he also convicts and spurs you to holy living, which we'll get to. But if we don't know that we're accepted first, if we're not sealed with the spirit of God, then everything else becomes works-based Christianity because we're trying to get the seal. We're trying to get the approval. Car before the horse, right? Does this make sense? The Holy Spirit seals you, gives you approval and belonging Ephesians 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. This is salvation. This is the good news. And because of that, we are justified by the grace of God through and by our faith in the person and the work of Jesus. Last year, we went through the book of Romans. And if, uh, if the, the topic of justification um, kind of eludes you, I would encourage you to go back last year and begin to work through the book of Romans to learn about what it means to be justified before Christ. We are justified through what Jesus has done, not through what we do, okay? It's very, very important that we understand this. So now as believers, we're sealed as co-heirs to the kingdom and all that that entails. We're co-heirs. Did you know that, that you have an inheritance awaiting you? As a believer, I, I don't know that, that many do believe, really believe that. I, I feel like for some people that kind of starts sounding like a fairy tale. Like, oh, I, I got this inheritance far off and ah, and it's like, okay, give me something for today. This, this revelation, this understanding actually completely changes your today. Because if you're talking about things that you have in the physical realm, this inheritance lessens the value of those things. And it also pulls you into this eternal mindset that says there's something more that, that God has waiting for me. And what happens on this earth is of lesser value than that. See what I'm saying? So, so the Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Holy Spirit seals us. Number three, the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers. All believers. This is undeniable. John 14 says this, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit resides in the heart of the believer. As you, as you receive Jesus, whenever you receive him, you receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, he doesn't come and go like the Old Testament, right? It is, it's not one day he's there and then he's lifted from you, right? It's not that type of thing, not what we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. We're now the, the temple of God, right? Where his spirit resides continually. And we talked about the temple uh, a little bit last week. Uh, we've talked about the temple through uh, the tabernacle throughout the last few months and, and even into last year. We've mentioned that over and over. And here, the Bible says that we are the temple of God. The Bible alludes to that all through the Old Testament too. God wants his law written upon our heart. He wants the spirit of the law with us, residing with us, not having to read it off of, the, of, a, of a stone tablet or just a book, but like the spirit, the essence of who he is would be fueling who we are, right? So the Bible describes the spirits indwelling, regenerating, and sealing of the believer as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? All right, now, now the, the, there's like seven different types of baptisms in the Bible. The baptism of, of Moses and Jesus and John, and there's death, baptism of death and fire. And then there's the baptism in water, which a lot of us really see and we understand that. We see that quite often whenever we baptize somebody in water. But there's this baptism in the spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, we see it says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. There's, there's one spirit baptism. 
And really baptism in the spirit, that phrase is not used all that often in the word of God. Jesus says it uh, one time, Peter refers back to it in Acts. John the Baptist says there's one who's gonna baptize you in the, in the, in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Uh, he says it one time and then it's echoed four times through the gospels. But there's this, this concept that's not talked about all that much throughout the, throughout the Bible. But when it comes to baptism in the spirit, we believe that it's more referring to salvation. So, so every believer would be baptized in the Holy Spirit at salvation and, and empowered as a witness to the kingdom of God, right? So, so whenever we speak about baptism in the spirit, there's one baptism. Now there's four things that we're gonna talk about here in just a moment. But again, Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Whenever he's saying this, the Holy Spirit had not come yet. Again, Acts 1, this is before Acts 2. The Holy Spirit had not come yet. And he's saying when the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna come upon you and he's gonna empower you to be witnesses. So, so there's this, this sequence that we see. And throughout Acts, you could see this, this rhythm play out when Paul would go to people, they'd say, man, who do... So are you believers? They're like, yeah, have you been baptized? Yeah, who, wh how were you baptized? In the baptism of John. And there was confusion around which baptism was which and, and, and who was who. And, and, and the Holy Spirit was being poured out. He was pouring out his spirit on all flesh, right? So there's some theological hairs that get split in terminology here. And I, I kind of want to bring some clarity to it. Uh, we believe that there is one baptism in the spirit and, and many fillings in the spirit. And we'll talk about fillings here in a moment. But uh, some believe there is a, another baptism in the spirit post-salvation. And then and th th that baptism then infills and, and empowers and anoints believers. Um, and there's a spectrum to this belief. Come on, guys, just like anything else, there's a spectrum. And I mean, I think every week that we've talked, there's been some moment where I've said, there's a spectrum here because there's a spectrum in all of it. And so um, uh, this belief is referred to as, and maybe some of you grew up like this, or maybe some of you have heard this before, the second work of grace or the second infilling. And the evidence of this second baptism, many people would say is speaking in tongues. As mentioned in Acts chapter two, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And, 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 and this, you, you know that you have the spirit of God if you, if you do these certain things. And there's a certain amount of truth to that, again, that we'll continue to bring clarity to. But, um, but you know, we're going to talk more about the gifts of the Spirit next week. Um, and I do want to say this, that, that we as a church, we do believe fully in the Holy Spirit and in His gifts that He provides to the church. So if it's in the Bible, we believe it, right? So, so if you go and you read, uh, man, man when, it comes to, when it comes to tongues, we believe that that's a real thing. It's not a metaphor. These people actually spoke in languages. And we, we also believe that there is different expressions of that. But we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They did not end whenever the Bible ended, okay? We believe in miracles. We believe in all of those things, right? And so um, we're going to talk more about those in, in, again next week. But we don't believe that uh, the primary or only proof of being baptized or filled in the Spirit is the evidence of speaking in tongues, okay? And, and I think that's where, where some lines get drawn. Uh, we're really good at drawing lines. Um, and, and in trying to draw lines, especially in the church, uh, what we can be, begin to do is we can be actually not just, we build barriers. 
We build barriers. And so it's like, man, if it happened like this for me, then it's got to happen exactly like that for you. Well, that's not even what Paul talks about in Corinthians. There's this, there's this, yeah, but God's doing all of these things, kind of not this, this, type of approach, right? And so we don't want to draw lines where there doesn't need to be lines drawn. But if it's in the word of God, we believe it, okay? So this, this line of thinking where, okay, now that you've done this, you got to do this. And then if you get this, then you're this. It creates this hierarchical kind of like uh, a second class kind of Christianity feel. I, I don't know if, if any of you I guess I'll put it like this. Many people have said this, and I'm sure every single one of you at some point have said this. Um, uh, man, that, that, that person or that church or those people, they're very, uh, they're very spiritually prideful. Or there's this, there's this, I felt like I was always just kind of like outside the loop or, or not good enough or not Christian enough or not, not whatever. I wasn't doing all the things. And there's two different kind of areas in that. One is in regards to sin, okay? Some people say that. I always felt like a second class, da, 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 and it was because the Spirit of God was actually convicting them about their lifestyle, and so they always felt judged, and it was like, man, that was just the Holy Spirit convicting you. Nobody was being judgmental to you. That, you know, they just felt uncomfortable because <laughs> they were not living according to what God was really loving them into, okay? And then there's the, the, the atmosphere of a spiritually prideful environment. And did you know that, that a church can become like that? That Christians, good Bible-believing, Bible Christ-loving people can actually become pharisaical. Where it's like, well, you need to do this and this and this and this. And it becomes, again, just post-salvation works-based Christianity. We don't want to be that, okay? We don't want to, we don't want to exude that. That's not what Jesus did. It's not, it's not what we see uh, church leaders, the apostles do. We don't want to have that spirit. We want to have a loving, gentle spirit. So the Bible, again, emphasizes certain things. And the Bible actually emphasizes fruit of the spirit and gifts of the spirit. And a lot of times people that begin to emphasize gifts of the spirit, they start leaning too heavily one direction. They actually begin to de-emphasize fruit of the spirit. Have you ever known someone that was so spiritual they were just a jerk? Like, man, you are so saved. I don't want to be around you. <laughs> wow. I hope one day to, uh, to get to that level of Christianity. <laughs> no, but it, it can feel like that, right? Because let me tell you something. If you begin to emphasize a second work of grace over the first work of grace, spiritually, spiritual pride is, is inevitable, we continually go back to the well of the gospel. We, look, let me tell you what kills your spiritual pride is knowing that it's only by the, God's grace that you're even alive. That, that, that's, what, that's what just takes the knees out from underneath all of that hierarchy type of feel, that judgmental type of feel. And it's not to say that you're always gonna bat a thousand. Come on, we're people. But let me tell you something. Whenever you begin to focus on the gospel and it brings you, it centers you, right? We wanna be gospel-centered people but we also want to be full of the spirit. So what, is this, what does this look like? So we have our first experience with the Holy Spirit upon salvation. Again, we cannot get saved without the Holy Spirit preparing our hearts, convicting us and, and applying salvation to our hearts. But there are many subsequent experiences throughout our walk with God. And I really appreciate the way that John Piper lays this out. And many of you probably know who John Piper is, but 
I think that he does a great job, even in his circle, of, of kind of expressing his heart about this topic. He says, I think it would be a mistake to limit baptism in, by, or with the Holy Spirit to a single second event after conversion. Even though you might experience one, that doesn't mean it's the normative way that this baptism is to be understood. I think the kind of filling and empowering that we receive in such experiences are needed again and again and again in the Christian life. They're not consistently the same in every season of the Christian life. It is right, I think, to ask for a fresh baptism. That's the language of the Puritans. That's the language of Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's my language again and again as I approach the pulpit and seek to preach. I say, oh God, I need a fresh baptism. I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh filling. I need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Hey guys, listen, every single time that I take the pulpit, do you know what I'm praying? Dear Jesus, help me. Uh, that as well as, as God, fill me with your spirit. It's not spooky. It's not mysterious. Well, it's a little bit mysterious, but it's not spooky. All right. But it's also very biblical. But what I want to say is let's not limit what it means to experience the presence of God or the spirit of God or receive the presence of God or the spirit of God to just salvation. Don't limit the Holy Spirit to one experience. Uh, we're commanded to continually experience the spirit of God in our lives, continually. And this is called being filled. So what does it mean to be filled with the spirit, which is the next thing that the Holy Spirit does in us. He indwells us, but he also, he fills us. So what does that mean? Well, in Ephesians 5, 18, it says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. So, so the way that I read this, by the way, is number one, don't be drunk. Very important thing to talk about. Don't be drunk with wine because it leads to debauchery, okay? But immediately following that, it says, but be filled with the spirit. And just so you guys know how I kind of process uh, what it means to be filled, I think that we can be filled with a lot of different spirits or motivations. We, can, we fill our lives with a lot of things. See, a lot of times today we, we say, man, my, I just, my time is filled up with this. Well, I'd like to kind of add on to that. Whatever you fill your time with, in certain ways, you are filling your spirit with. You're filling your life with. You're, fill, you're filling yourself with the things that you do and focus on. And here, there's some people who they fill their life with a lot of drinking and, and, and actually in this time, again, go back last year and, and we talked about this specific group of scriptures in the, the book of Ephesians, whenever we were walking through the book of Ephesians and uh, with, with, you know, uh, with the God of Bacchus and all the things that were going on in, the, in that area and they would actually imbibe the spirit of Bacchus. And so he's actually referring to this entire uh, way of living, okay? It's a lot deeper than just don't drink wine. There's actually a whole lot more to it than that. But the, the, in essence, it's like we could be filled with different spirits. We could be filled with different passions and it then uh, affects the way that we live. But in the Greek, the word for be filled, I think this is really important, guys. The Greek word for be filled, it's in the continuous present tense. This is where it's tough sometimes for us because we read in English and whenever you read in Greek, there's actually different tenses that don't even exist in the way that we talk. And so we have to repeat certain words in order to even accomplish the thought. So the thought here about be filled is to continually be being filled. Like you're never not, you're, you're, never, you're, you're never done being filled. Okay, we try to explain it like this. Your relationship with God, your walk with God is an incline. 
Okay, there's not like I get to a certain step and now I'm on a plateau. No, no, no. Our walk with God, our relationship, it's an incline. And so we're constantly uh, investing. We're constantly being uh, ministered to and ministering, right? How about this? In your, in your marriage or in a relationship with somebody, do, do you ever just put it on cruise control? And let me ask you this. When you do put it on cruise control, does it eventually, is that helpful to your relationship? Never. There's never been one time in my marriage that whenever we put it on cruise control, we kind of felt like we got to a certain place in our marriage that we were good to go, put it on cruise, and we stayed there. No, you drift backwards. You, you, you drift. So if you're not continually being filled with the Spirit of God, you're being emptied of the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not talking about unto salvation, but, but, but again, we're moving into this, this other concept. And again, this isn't a rule. This isn't a, a, a do or a don't. We are commanded to do this, but it's out of a spirit of love and what, actually what God desires for us. And continually be filled. I, I hear Paul saying it like that. Hey guys, continue, be, continue to be being filled. Continue to seek God, right? This is our, the command that we receive today. Be continually filled with the fullness of the Spirit. This is, is an experience of God's power and love that moves us to worship and to obedience. Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology uh, book, which if, if you're looking for a good systematic theology, I think that Wayne Grudem's systematic theology is really good, balanced, uh, doesn't draw a lot of lines, and, uh, but provides a lot of clarity. He says, he says, in regards to being filled with the Spirit, an event, it's an event subsequent to conversion in which a believer experiences a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit that may result in a variety of consequences, including greater love for God, greater victory over sin, greater power for ministry, and sometimes the receiving of new spiritual gifts. It's a good, concise way. I would, and I would kind of add a little bit to it when it says an event subsequent I would say that, yes, the filling part is, but, but it, it never stops. Like there's this continual subsequent experiences. And the reason I could talk about this is because I've experienced this in my own life many times. I don't have one moment in my life that I can go back to other than salvation and say, man, this was the one that really did it for me. This was the moment. I remember vividly whenever I got saved. I was seven years old and I still remember it. But I could, take, I could picture in my head different services that I was in, different times that I was at the altar praying with friends, different camps that I went to. I could picture different moments where I read something in the Bible and it came to life. I can remember whenever the gospel actually made sense to me, but not just up here. It changed the way that I, I viewed God and viewed myself. I can remember those moments. You know who did that in me? The Holy Spirit. That's who did that. It wasn't me figuring it out. It was, it was the Holy Spirit revealing truth. So three meanings of this word to fill or, or, or be filled. Three words, and, and they kind of surround the word, the Greek word, plero. One is pressure. And the picture is wind filling the sails on a ship. This depicts the Holy Spirit providing the thrust to move the believer down the pathway of obedience. A spirit-filled Christian isn't motivated by his own desires or will to progress. Instead, he allows the Holy Spirit to carry or guide them in the proper directions. There's this picture of you being a sail and the Holy Spirit pro pro propelling you, pressuring you into a life of obedience. There's another picture of permeation, permeation. And I like to use the example of uh, like hot chocolate or, 
or chocolate milk. I'm a big chocolate milk fan. See, you got milk, you put chocolate in it, you stir it together. You don't, you don't have just milk anymore. You got chocolate milk, man. It's so much, so much better, right? This idea of permeation, where you are, there's something that, is, this, that, that, that it fills you, that then changes you, that permeates your life. You can't go in and separate the chocolate from the milk anymore. It's chocolate milk. You know what I'm saying? A, a Christian who's filled with the Spirit of God, like, like you can't separate that. It's all, it's all together. The Spirit permeates our life, permeates our thoughts, permeates our actions. It's not weird. It's not weird. But we become something different. Number three is domination, total control. These phrases are used in the Bible in the same way, check this out, whenever it talks about being filled with fear or filled with anger. Now we can start connecting to that, right? Because how many times have you been in an environment and you said, man, the environment was just filled with this rage, or maybe you're at a Saints game and the environment was filled with excitement, right? You know, whatever. You have these, and we, we talk about it in that way, but whenever we talk about somebody being filled with the Spirit, we get like, oh, that's weird. Or the place, man, the place is just filled with the presence of God. We're like, oh, that's, that's weird. No, no, the Bible talks about how, I mean, come on, have you ever been filled with rage? You were filled with the Spirit of something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or at the very least, who you are in that moment was becoming, was, was, was being displayed, right? It might not have been something outside of you. I think that's where we kind of get some of the pictures wrong is we always think that being filled with something is something outside of us that then fills us. I, I like to think that whenever I am filled with rage, actually, <laughs> that was already in me. I just got shook up and I, I, I revealed what was actually in me. I released what was already in me. Well, we want to be filled with the presence of God, with the spirit of God. So that way, and dominated, controlled, influenced, permeated by his spirit. So whenever we get shook up, what do we do? We release the spirit of God, the fruit of the spirit of God, the presence of God, his peace, his joy. How, how do y'all think that we are peacemakers? You can only be a true peacemaker if you are filled with the spirit of God to go into hostile environments, to engage with hostile people and to bring peace. Did you know that as, as believers, to, to maintain the spirit of unity in a church, we must all be filled with the spirit of God? Good. Good. To actually maintain unity? Yep. We, we cannot maintain unity. If, if, we, we just can't do it. We don't have the, the capability. A bunch of carnal people can't have the unity of the spirit. See what I'm saying? So, so pressure, permeation, domination. We want to be, uh, our emotions should be dominated by the spirit, not the flesh. So being filled with the spirit means being pressured, permeated, and dominated by the spirit. We can also say, and there's different ways of saying basically the same thing, but we're empowered by the spirit. We want to live lives empowered to lead us into all righteousness, which is the next thing that the Holy Spirit does. And the last thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Now, justification and sanctification are sort of like two sides of a coin. So justification, we're made right with God. We're made righteous before God. He sees us instead of, uh, he sees Jesus instead of us. He sees Jesus' righteousness covering our unrighteousness. 
But then this process of sanctification, even though justification may be an event in your life, sanctification is a process, much like baptism and being filled. Baptism, one, one, one part of your life, filling, you never stop being filled, right? Justification, sanctification. Romans 6, 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Ever had anybody say that? I'll speak in layman terms for you, all right? I know you're, you're not really that intelligent, so let me break it on down for you. <laughs> your natural limitations. For just as, I mean, he wasn't saying that, but just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, question, how many of members, your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Come on. Come on. Yeah. All right. For the rest of you, you just didn't know that that's what you were doing. (laughs) Pre-Jesus, that's your only option. That's all that you do. Before Christ, before justification, you didn't know it, but you were enslaved to unrighteousness. You were enslaved to it. You had no choice. Even your best, your best effort, your best action still falls short of the glory of God. So, so now, how many of you have ever presented your, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more law? Come on, come on. Come on. Every, okay, let me just say this. Every single person, raise your hand real quick. Come on. My goodness gracious. Golly. Sometimes. <laughs> Man, we, 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 and actually, you know what? That's actually like, that should fill you with joy to know that. It's like, yep, me right here. I was terrible, man. Lawlessness. That's right. We were committed to lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Live righteously before Jesus, before justification, you were enslaved to unrighteousness. Now present yourself as slaves to righteousness. Be sanctified, live righteously. Does that mean that you will live in perfection? No, it's a different conversation. We don't believe in sinless perfection here on the face of this planet in regards to our actions and attitudes. No, but we do believe that we are sanctified more and more in, the process, in this process of sanctification as we draw closer to who it is that God is and who he wants us to be, okay? So the doctrinal statement of sanctification is this. Sanctification is the ongoing process of yielding to God's word and his spirit in order to complete the development of Christ's character in us. It is through the present ministry of the Holy Spirit and the word of God that the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. Process of sanctification. And guys, listen, we're all in different parts of that. We're all in different parts of it. Some of you have just begun the process of sanctification in your life. Don't compare yourself to someone who has been in the process for 30 years. You will end up condemned and you'll quit. Don't, don't allow the enemy to plant those seeds. You keep walking your journey. You keep moving, you keep letting the Holy Spirit and the word of God sanctify you. And you'll look back in a few years and be like, my goodness, my life is different. I'm I'm, I'm changed. That's right. See guys, we're too event focused sometimes. Okay, now I did this, now I need this other event. And now, now I'm 
Everything with God is a process. Your relationship with God is a process. Your sanctification, being made more like God, being set apart for the glory of God, being made holy as God is holy. We can be holy only in Jesus. How do I live being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that actually look like? Number one, live a life of surrender. A life of surrender and brokenness. We are commanded to be broken before God, to live a life of surrender. We just read it, a life of surrender to the Spirit and to the Word. That means whenever the Word of God or the Spirit of God convicts you about something, you agree with that. You surrender your will and you say, that is right, I am wrong. Surrender. And then you live a life of obedience, responding to whatever it was that God spoke. You live a life of surrender and then obedience, acting that out. Again, does it mean that you'll always bat a thousand? No. All right, can we just go ahead and, and just destroy the idea of perfection? Can we do that? Everybody good with that? So, so, so your whole idea that you're going to become, yeah, just some people are getting up and going to the side. It's okay, guys. Bring it on back in. Bring it on back in. Bring it on back in. Uh, come on. So we surrender, but then we, we have to obey. That's part of surrendering. Some of you, the Holy Spirit, you may even be saved. You may be born again, but the Holy Spirit has been convicting you, messing with you. There's something inside of you that's trying to guide you into a different way of living and you have been resisting that. If you are resisting that, you are not surrendering to the Spirit of God in your life. Now, how do you know it's the Spirit of God? Does it align with the Word of God? Is it, does, it express, does it express the character of God, right? You gotta have discernment in what you're following. But if you resist the Spirit of God, He will flee. He will stop. He will let you do your own thing. We have to surrender. We have to obey. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Some of you, it's gotten to the place where you have grieved the Holy Spirit in your life. You can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That same spirit that sealed you, that regenerated you, that it's indwelling you, that's filling you, sanctifying you, you actually can grieve and quench the spirit of God in your life. You can. See, this is a co-laboring. Just because you're saved, just because you're filled, doesn't mean that God takes over your body and your mind and just like literally like you're a remote control person. <laughs> no, 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 no. Galatians 5, 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you know that you're walking by the spirit? Whenever you are not gratifying your fleshly desires, your sinful fleshly desires, that's whenever you know you're walking by the spirit. So if you're not walking by the spirit and you're, you're, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, it means that you are now, you're acting out things in the works of the flesh. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh. That's how you know. What's the last thing? To be continually being, being filled. How can I say that? I don't know how to, I don't know how to live being continuously filled with the Spirit. There we go. How do you do it? The last thing is ask. 
I think some people just don't ask. They just, they don't posture themselves in a way that allow the Holy Spirit to fill them. Luke chapter 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's a lot of you in this place today that you, you've never been baptized in the spirit through salvation. You haven't been born again. You haven't been born of the spirit. You haven't had that, that moment in your life where you truly surrendered your life in, in, in the beginning stage. Others of you, you have. You, you've made a decision, but your life with God is cold and dry and stale. You believe in Jesus. You know that you're saved. You, you really have a confidence in you to a certain extent that, man, if I stood before God right now, I know that, that I'm hit. But man, my walk with God is just, it's, it's just like a desert. Been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. This is why the spirit needs to fill your life. You need the, you need the water of God to, to soften you. Yesterday, we went to this pumpkin patch and um, we went up to this, this uh, like this, what is it? What is this? It's like a, 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 what's it called? A crank, a, uh, the water, the well, the pump, water pump. That's what it is, old school water pump. You know, you, you, you move it up and down and then it, it takes the water and gets it going. Well, three of them weren't working. And the guy came up and he said, oh man, let me get these things working. And he took some water and he poured it in the top of it. And he said, there's a piece of leather in here. I didn't know any of this, by the way. <clears throat> piece of leather in here. And as it gets wet, it expands. And that water, it primes the pump, right? And some of you, you're a pump. There's water right there. It's all there, but you're dry. You need to be filled with something other than yourself, other than your intellect. You need to be filled with another spirit. Come on. In order to prime the pump of your life to where you can begin to operate in all that God has for you. And that's my prayer for you, that you would live a life, not just aware of who Jesus is, not just aware of all these concepts, but a life where all those concepts come together in revelation in your life and in your spirit. And you are filled with the, the essence of who God is. And I'm telling you guys, it's not weird. It's not spooky. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not something to be resisted in the life of the believer. It's something to be accepted, received and lived out. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we come before you right now and we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for speaking to us today. God, we need you. We need your presence. We need your revelation. God, we need the, the fullness of who you are to be operating in us. And Lord God, we know that today, that for all of us, we find ourselves in this spectrum. Uh, some of us, again, we, we are, and we've been living this out for a long time. We know what it, what it means to be filled with the spirit of God and, and we're encouraged and living that out. And then others of us, we are far from that place. We are dry, we are empty. And God, we're reaching out for other things to fill that void. And Lord, there's others of us who are far from you. We haven't been born again. We haven't been born of the spirit. And all of this is foreign. We feel like Nicodemus, what are you talking about? But God, one thing that we all love about you is that you reveal yourself to every single person, no matter where we're at. You, you, you meet us where we are at in our understanding. So God, right now, right here, we open up our hearts to you. And God, for those who maybe feel confused or empty or dry, Lord, I'm praying that you would illuminate things in their heart. Illuminate the word of God. Bring understanding. Bring experience. 
to their hearts. If you're in this place today, maybe you're watching online and you know that you are far from God. You have not been born of the spirit of God. You have not had a moment where you can truly look back and say, God did something major in my life. And and that's where I received Jesus. I trusted in him. Now is a great time to be able to to do that. I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now. I believe that God's drawing you and I wanna pray with you. Just say this, say, say, Lord, I surrender my life to you all that I am, the things that I want people to know about and the things that I hide from everybody. I lay all of it at your feet and I receive your righteousness. I receive your spirit. God, I want to live a life that exalts you, that glorifies you. I thank you for the cross where the price for my sin was paid for. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's all stand to our feet. We're gonna sing here in a moment, but this is what I wanna do. I want us to all lift our hands and the band's gonna begin to play through these chords. And and this is what I wanna ask you to do. I just ask you, I, I I want you to begin to open up your heart. To open up your heart. Some of you, you've been raised in environments that have caused you to to kind of sulk away from these topics or sulk away from really believing that that the Holy Spirit can fill you with His power and His Spirit. But today, I believe that God has spoken something new. And so right now, just say, Lord, fill me up. Fill me up, God. I need you. I need you, Jesus. I've been trying to do it in my own strength. I've been trying to be a Christian and, 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 and do things on my own, but Father, I realize that I've been doing it apart from you. So God, be lifted up in my life today. God, fill me with your presence, with your awareness, with the fruit of your spirit. God, let us go out filled with your spirit, walking in your anointing. God, empowered by who you are to be witnesses, to, to spread the gospel with boldness. God, to go out and to walk in boldness, Jesus. We know that we are worthy because of who you are and what you've done. And so we celebrate that, Jesus. Father, help us to go forth and to communicate the gospel well. Just like Peter did in Acts chapter two, Jesus, that we would walk to our our friends and our family, that we would go to our workplaces and our schools, and that God, we would declare who you are with boldness. Jesus, knowing that you are with us, you're with us in Jesus' name. Come on, let's all sing this together.
guys been a great morning. I know we went a few minutes later than we normally do, but I think it was worth it. And I, think, I really think the message this morning, man, if you allow it, it's life-changing. It is absolutely life-changing. Um, you know, my name's Tom. I'm the assistant pastor here at the Gulfport campus. And maybe for those of you who are new with us, or maybe some of you, you did have the Holy Spirit speak to you in a special way. And you made that decision to say, you know what, I'm placing my faith in Jesus. I want that life that, that aligns with God. I want what's best for me because it's what God says is best for me. Maybe that's you this morning. Well, I want to invite you folks to uh, do this. Fill out this Next Steps card. It's right in the seat pocket in front of you. Uh, just uh, a couple things on there. I've decided to follow Jesus. Maybe that's you. I'm new, I'm new to Northwood. Maybe that's you. Just fill that out. Drop it off back at our Next Steps area. we got a couple friendly faces back there who just want to say congratulations and welcome. And uh, it's going to be great. What I'm going to do is take that card then and reach out to you this week. See if there's any questions you have and help you take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. All right? I also want to bring some attention to some wonderful folks that we have up here at the front every single week. It's our prayer team. You know, maybe something has been sparked inside of you this morning. Maybe you just came in, there's something heavy going on in your life, and you just want someone to agree with you in prayer. Be sure to just to come on up right after we dismissed, and, the, and they just want to pray with you and, and just love on you a little bit, all right? And, and if those of you who are maybe watching online, you got a prayer request, you can go to our website, northwood.church slash pray, and you can find that same thing there. Also, on the back of that Next Steps card, there's a where you can uh, get your prayer requests into us and our prayer team prays over those every single week, all right? Um, as a reminder, uh, our Next Steps class is right after service, right after we dismiss here. Just head out this door, hang a quick left. I know it's a little bit late and lunchtime's coming up, but don't worry, we got some water and snacks in there for you to hold you over. It's about 40, 45 minutes. We'd love to see you back there. Also tonight, Impact Night, 7th through 12th graders. It's up at our Wiggins location, all right? So parents, don't worry, you don't have to drive your kids up there, then go back and pick them up an hour and a half later. We are going to carpool here at the campus, so have your students here, right back here by Building 2 at 445, all right? So uh, you guys have a wonderful week. Love you all. See ya.